Well, good morning again, everyone. And grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. Whoever's ushering could probably grab you one if you need one in your hands. Today, we want you to have God's Word to know that, uh, that what, what He speaks is truth. That's what we need. We don't need what I bring. We need what He brings. And, uh, and so we're excited to gather here. So if you need a Bible, we can bring one to you. If you don't have one at home, take it. It's yours. We want you to have one. So we are here. It is the start of January. we got the church official launch coming up here two weeks from now. We're pretty excited about that. In the next two weeks, you're going to see uh, some opportunities to serve. Uh, the week before, we are going to be doing kind of a big, a, a big push with uh, getting some promotion out. So that uh, week before January 21st, um, we're going to have small groups, but those small groups are going to be dedicated towards some service towards the church and promotion. So, uh, so here we are again. We're in the middle of our, uh, our Christ Follower series, and uh, we're in the middle of breaking down what the Connect relationship looks like. If you want to go to the next slide there, um, we already focused on abiding in the Lord, abiding in the vine through God time, uh, prayer, and, uh, and in His Word. Now we're in the Connect time, uh, which is gathering. Last week was, was gathering, and uh, sad to say that our recording Got messed up last week, so we couldn't share that with you. Um, but for those who were here, uh, you got a you know you got a, a schooling on what it means to gather, and that's great. Um, but today we're going to be looking at group time, okay? And so, but last week, let's just review quick. Uh, from we looked at Hebrews ten twenty four to twenty five, uh, we learned four critical reasons why we gather on Sunday morning. We didn't just make this up; we see it in Scripture. And so we looked at Hebrews. Um, and four things came out of that text from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Um, we gather to stir up, that is to provoke each other on towards love and good works. We gather to show up, that's to be available, readily available to serve each other and to serve the Lord together. We gather to, to build each other up, to encourage each other in the Lord. And we gather to look up, knowing that Christ never left us. He's always with us. He says he will be with us to the end in this great commission effort. And we talked about how vital it is to be gathering together as the church. Because we have coming persecution. We have uh, persecution today and all the more uh, coming in the future. And so God was calling us to, to, to reject retreating, but to be gathering together all the more as we await his return. And out of that, kind of the summary statement was that a true Christ follower is marked by a love for God's family in gathered worship weekly. So as much as we desperately need to be gathering weekly as the church on Sunday mornings, we're also convinced by Scripture that it's absolutely vital to be gathering throughout the week. We need to commit ourselves outside of Sunday morning to consistent growth and accountability within a community of believers. That's our group time. And we do group time through small groups here at Harvest. We have small groups on uh, just a gathered groups on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, but we're also going to be doing men's and women's ministry. Those are small groups as well as youth. That's going to be small groups as well. And so we're convinced by Scripture that we need to do that. So today we can start by turning to Acts 2, 42 to 47. We're going to be in, in, uh, in a bunch of different areas of Scripture today. Uh, so Acts 2, 42 to 47. As you're turning there, let's ask ourselves the question, why do we want to gather as small groups at harvest. Why do we do this? Why do we want to gather? Why is it such an important thing to your leadership that our people are gathering together weekly? 
So when I first came to Harvest seven years ago, it was launching in the north. Uh, we came, and, and soon after we started attending, small groups started up. And, uh, and what was really interesting is that right off the beginning of this church, mostly everybody at the church was gathering in small groups. Now in my old church, my home church that I, I come from, uh, we didn't have small groups. We had Bible studies, um, and there was also some groups that were kind of gathering around special interests as well. Uh, but these studies were kind of random, right? They, were, they weren't really consistent. Uh, it was more about studying maybe a topic like marriage or raising children. That's, that's great stuff to study. But it wasn't an intentional, directive, small group ministry. Uh, so if somebody in that church wanted to start a Bible study, they would just come and start a Bible study. It really wasn't directed by the elders or the leadership. It wasn't organized. Um, and these studies were really sporadic, and they weren't very widely attended. Maybe maybe 10 or 15% of the church was gathering in some kind of a, a Bible study. But when we got to harvest, small groups was a really big deal, something that we weren't used to. In fact, as the first year of harvest progressed, uh, we measured that about 85% of the people attending were gathering weekly in a small group. And so again, why do we do this? Why do we want to gather as small groups? Well, we're going to start looking at Scripture and what it teaches us about small groups. And so through this today, we're going to take home four things. Four reasons why group time is absolutely vital to our spiritual health as Christ followers. I'm going to pray and then we'll read the Scripture. Lord, we thank you that your word is open before us. That you wrote this through your Holy Spirit moving upon men. And they wrote exactly what you deemed to put down. And you have kept it and preserved it for thousands of years. We trust you knowing that it is your word, it is sufficient, it is powerful, it's living and active. And we ask for you to do your work in our hearts through it today. So today as we focus on small groups, on, on a smaller group gathering as Christians, outside of Sunday mornings, we pray that you would teach us, that you would convict us and encourage us to be obedient and to follow you and what you have for us. And so open our hearts, may your spirit be actively at work in us, and we ask for you to change us. And we pray this in your name. So Acts 2.42-47, to now you're going to say, well, didn't we just preach through this not too long ago? And we did. A couple months ago we went through this. I'm not going to pull this apart as one long sermon. We're just using a few things out of this section today, and then we're going to move from that as well. But starting in verse 42 of Acts 2, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, this is what we're going to be focusing on, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we have this New Testament church. This is the first New Testament church, the first church in which the Holy Spirit indwelt people. And he began to grow that church. And they began to fellowship. And this is what we're going to be focusing on today. These people were connected to one another. We see that this Holy Spirit caused a deep, devoted fellowship to one another. 
They were holding fast to God's word. They were holding fast to prayer. They were holding fast to each other. They were persevering together. They were busily engaged with one another. And they were experiencing true koinonia. Koinonia, the word for fellowship here. They were experiencing authentic Christian fellowship. And so let me ask you, are you fully devoted to Christian fellowship? Do we know what fellowship is? Well, this word fellowship is often a catch-all phrase for any kind of Christian gathering, any kind of activity that we want to be a part of. A fellowship can be defined sometimes by just gathering around shared interests or experiences. And people naturally do this. They naturally gravitate to other people who have shared interests and shared hobbies. Who here has heard of the, uh, the website out there called Meetup? Anybody use that? You know, you can, you can go on there and find any kind of group and meet up and do anything. It's, uh, if you look at the, the site in Calgary, I counted over 1,000 meetup groups. Like, Gavin might want to start a, a group about, all about Smash Up, the Smash Up board game, and, and you get a bunch of people coming out, right? Um, so people would gather, you know, any kind of interest, like kayaking or salsa dancing. Uh, this, this one, I don't know what it is, biohacking. I found that one. That was kind of interesting. Uh, there's axe throwing. Kumbacha brewing. I don't know what that is, but uh, you can brew it. So there is over a thousand of them in our city. Uh, people are desiring to gather together around a common interest. And this, this other one I want to tell you about is really, really interesting. And it kind of applies here. There's a club called Zombie Survivalist Group in Calgary. It has 217 members, okay? Now, this is something I want you to listen to and then flush out of your memory altogether. So they, they say this on, their, on their, little, uh, their little site. They said, we're here to build relationships. There's nothing more terrifying than being trapped in an alley facing a horde of zombies alone. Or so we imagine. We created this group because we feel the most important thing to have in the zombie apocalypse is a team of people to rely on for help. Come to us with your willingness to work together. It's the only way that we'll survive. And so you see these people gathering around this ridiculous idea. But you see inside of that that there is something to it. They're wanting to gather together to protect one another, to work together, to survive. So it's pretty silly, right? Pretty silly. And fellowship in the church is not silly. It's an awesome thing. Listen to what Donald Whitney says about fellowship. He says, there is a Christian failure to distinguish between socializing and fellowship. Although socializing is often both a part of and the context of fellowship, it is possible to socialize without having fellowship. Socializing involves the sharing of human and earthly life, Christian fellowship. New Testament koinonia involves the sharing of spiritual life. Don't misunderstand. Socializing is a valuable asset to the church and necessary for a balanced life, but we have gone beyond giving socializing the place that it deserves. We have become willing to accept it as a substitute for fellowship, almost cheating ourselves of the Christian birthright of true fellowship together. So in the church, we have, we have often erred sometimes with what fellowship is, right? It's not just a social event. Those things are great. Fellowship is much more. We desperately need koinonia fellowship. So koinonia, 
Let's just look in the most simple linguistic terms of what it means. It really means to participate or to share. Uh, The root word is really common, to have things in common. But we don't just interpret uh, meaning uh, of what God wants to teach us through isolated definitions. We want to look at the context. Now, the immediate context we have here refers to these brand new Christians, spirit-filled Christians. They needed each other desperately. They were sharing food. They were sharing material possessions. They were sharing material needs. And they were sharing life with one another, really doing life together in a dark world. They desperately needed each other. So we have these physical needs, but even more than that, they desperately needed to gather together for their spiritual needs. They were in the Word together. They took communion together. In communion, they were pointing each other to the gospel, reminding each other of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. There was this continual need to point each other to Jesus. They were praying all the time together. They were interceding to the Lord together. And all this was happening as they gathered together Yes, in in the larger meeting, it says that they were meeting in Solomon's portico. At the temple, they would be meeting there, but they were also meeting day by day in each other's homes. So not only on Sunday, but in each other's homes. We need to take that to heart as well. And they were united by the deepest shared interest in the universe. They shared Christ Jesus That marks us uniquely as Christians in how we fellowship. This koinonia fellowship is something that is uniquely Christian. Uniquely Christian. The greatest reality of all eternity. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is this natural attraction for Christians to be gathering together. You ever meet somebody like in an airport or across the world, wherever you've been, and you meet another Christian, there's that instant connection of Jesus Christ with one another. You share the greatest thing in all of eternity. And so fellowship is not just connecting with people over shared interests. In the church, we can sometimes do this. Like I said, we can just gather together over, you know, say you like to hunt or, or say we're homeschoolers, we like to homeschool, we just hang out with homeschoolers. Sometimes this can cause division, this can cause clicks, this can cause cracks and disunity in the church. But the beauty of true Koinonia fellowship is this, that there is unity amidst the diversity. We have people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different colors and races, all different cultures from all over the world, and we're united together in Jesus Christ, and we fellowship because we share in Him. The foundation for true horizontal fellowship with one another is our shared vertical relationship, our shared vertical fellowship with the Lord. The Apostle John says this in in 1 John 1, 3-3. Gives us some insight into this, that our vertical relationship with the Lord is what drives our horizontal relationship with each other. He says, that which we have seen and heard the gospel we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship with us is rooted in fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we need to define koinonia based 
on these things. And we need to define it in light of our unique situation as Christians. So fellowship is this. Fellowship is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Fellowship is sharing something common on the deepest possible level of human relationship. Our experience with God himself. Our experience with God himself. That's from John Loftus writing in a book, Why Small Groups. So you and I desperately need this authentic, sanctifying fellowship. Social clubs and and gatherings are fun and good, but we need to be transformed, and God has given us to each other to aid in that effort of transformation. And so we at Harvest, we believe in this. We believe in being intentional in this unique small group fellowship. We believe that our small group fellowship is essential. So right now, we currently have three small groups. In a group that this size, to have three is, is, is a bit of a stretch, but we want to multiply. We want to see this happening more and more as people come into our church. And we're convinced by Scripture that we need to be doing this. Intimate fellowship is critical to our spiritual health. The church in Acts believed this. They practiced this. Paul practiced this. Jesus practiced this with his disciples as well. He had 12 disciples, and he would often take three off to pour into them as well. So how are you doing in your devotion to small group, smaller group fellowship? Are you experiencing this deep, meaningful, Christ-centered koinonia in your life right now? Do you feel like you're intimately known and that you intimately know one another? Are you struggling all alone? Or are you struggling together? Are you growing? Are you growing in the Lord? Just think about that sin that you're trying to overcome. Are you trying to do it all by yourself? Or are you going to join a smaller group of people to help you do that? God has given us each to each other as a means of grace to help each other. We comfort, we learn, and we grow together in the Lord. So I just submit to you, Sunday mornings are not enough. Sunday mornings are not enough for authentic fellowship. We only have so much time here to really get into each other's lives. When we get together on a smaller group level, we can really pour into each other. So we need to be gathering as a smaller group of people. And and just so you know, your elders, your leaders... We are all for it, and so we really support that as vital to your life. Sharing life, sharing Christ, sharing each other. And so if you're not in a small group, come talk to me. If you have some questions about it, love to share with you. Um, For those who have been around uh, much time in Harvest, and you've been in small groups, you know that you love it, right? You know that it does work in your heart, and you can hardly imagine your life apart from that. Let's consider what the New Testament shows us. It models this for us, and so we're going to follow. And, uh, and trust me, you will not regret being in a smaller group of people during the week. So group time is absolutely vital to my spiritual health because I need authentic fellowship. And point number two, I need deeper application. You need deeper application. Like I said, Sunday mornings are not enough not enough to apply God's word deeply into your heart, 
The Holy Spirit does a lot of work here, but throughout the week, other believers can help push that into your heart. And so, our church believes in, in bold preaching. We believe in expository preaching, which is basically just looking at the text, looking at the grammar, looking at the history, looking at the context, pulling out that one meaning that the Lord wants for us for that day. That's expository. But we also believe in applicational. So we're expository, applicational preaching. And so as a pastor during the week, I strive to study, to search the scriptures, to to rightly understand what God's word means. I, I wrestle with the text. But I also strive to present God's word in a way that is applicational to our life here. God's word is always relevant. And what I try to do is to bring out some general application for us to work from. So we want to be working from our head knowledge and working to the heart. That's application. And so what I try to do is give examples of how God's word applies generally, like I said, to all of us. But I can't apply the sermon to each life, each situation every Sunday. I don't know exactly everything that's going on in your life. And so this connecting outside of Sunday mornings helps us to apply more directly to have this deeper application into our lives. And this is why small group is so crucial. We get an opportunity during the week to gather, to discuss what's being taught on Sunday, whatever topic we're working on. And we talk about how specifically we can apply that into our life every week. And we gather with those who know us intimately, those who who know of your specific struggles, those who are in your life more, those who know you enough and love you enough to point out areas in your life that you might be blind to. So true group time is sanctifying time. Does anybody remember that old commercial from the 80s? Um, It said, it was about drunk driving. And it said, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Okay? Well, true fellowshipping Christians, they don't let Christians remain blind to their sin. We love each other enough to point each other uh, to the sin that's in our life and things we need to work from. So this small group fellowship fosters true sanctifying Community. That just means that we're growing in holiness together, right? Less sin uh, yesterday, more of Christ today. Brothers and sisters loving each other, applying God's word to the specific situations in your life. The Bible is full of examples of this taking place. We'll look quickly at the story of uh, David and Bathsheba to help us understand this. In 2 Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Remember King David? He, he committed adultery with, with this lady Bathsheba. And to cover up his sin, King David ultimately had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed, murdered on the, on the battlefield to try to cover up this sin. But what David had at that time also was a great friend, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, knowing what David did, confronted him in his sin. He loved him enough to point him to God's word. And he he tells David a parable about a rich man. This rich man had many flocks of sheep, 
And there was a poor man also who had one little lamb. The poor man, he loved this little lamb so much, he treated this little lamb like his daughter. And so one day this rich man has a traveling friend come by. And he wants to feed him a meal. So instead of taking a sheep from his many flocks, he takes this little lamb from this poor man. And David, hearing this, hearing this story from Nathan, uh, responds in in 12 verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David was worked up about this. He was a shepherd. He knew the value of lambs. And this was ludicrous to him. Caused great anger. But then his friend Nathan says to David, he says, you're the man. You're the man. And through this we see a friend confronting a friend over sin in his life. Nathan loved David enough to confront him over his sin. And so we're going to apply this to ourselves as well. And we see that David was, was then convicted over his sin, and it brought him to a place of godly sorrow and repentance. And so true Christian fellowship, it's not just shallow, it's not just condoning of sin. We don't just stay with the platitudes of conversation. We dive deep into each other's lives. We know each other intimately, and we confront each other lovingly. Scripture teaches us this time and time again, how much we need each other, how much we need each other for heart transformation. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 also says, And we urge you, brothers, Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak and be patient with them all. That's a calling for us. So not only are we to confront sin, but we're also to comfort one another. Kind of like last week we talked about gathering here, comforts one another. We're to care for one another in the hard times. To bear each other's burdens from Galatians 6 two to weep with one another, to mourn with one another, and ultimately through it all, to point each other to the gospel of Jesus Christ all the time, day by day, just like in the first church. And so we see David back in the story. He realized his sinfulness. Nathan reminded him that, that the Lord had put away his sin. This encouragement, it wasn't just just convicting him of sin, but in that, he also encouraged him that that in his repentance, he is forgiven. And so we're going to go for this in our group time. This is going to be a part of our life together. And it's really the beginning of of, uh, what we call biblical counseling in this church. We believe that God's word is sufficient for life and godliness. And so in our small groups, we want to pour into each other as biblical counselors, right? Um, we want to call this kind of like a community of counselors, right? We're used to uh, in, in church about having professional counselors or the pastor counsels, and, and we believe in that as well. We get people trained in biblical counseling, somebody who's been to, to school to learn how to do that. We'll utilize that as well. But 
God has given us to each other to counsel one another because we have his word. And this has to happen. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people fails. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. We need each other. And so we, as we move forward in the church, we're going to be training towards this end as well. well. We'll pour resources into you about what it means to counsel each other in the Word. In our small group curriculum, we have 101, 201, 301, 401 levels of what it means to be small group leaders. And in the, in the end, there's a 501 level, which is just full-out biblical counseling, solid training on what it means to be in a small group and to lead a small group as well. So we need each other, and we're going to counsel one another as small groups. Jerry Bridges says this in his book, Transforming Grace. Don't just share your struggles. And above all, don't just commiserate with one another. Remember, we are to be ministers of grace to each other. We are to seek to be avenues of the Holy Spirit to help the other person appropriate the grace of God. Praying with and for one another. Sharing applicable portions of Scripture and helping each other submit to God's providential dealings with us must characterize our times together. So there's much more than just gathering and having a social event. Uh, We need to pour into each other's life and counsel one another with the Word. So our group time is is needed for this authentic fellowship, this koinonia we're talking about. It fosters deeper application as we're seeing here. And then our group time is also vital for our spiritual health because we need transparent accountability. We need transparent accountability. This goes hand in hand with with the deeper application. So as God's word is applied deeper into each other's hearts, we need to connect with each other as open books. Holding each other accountable to our collective call to pursue holiness together. We've got a couple verses that help us here. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. God's given us to each other. Let's open the book on our life together. Let's show each other the things that we need to work on. And then your friends can exhort you in that. And the danger is that you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So you see this picture of, of somebody more mature helping somebody who is who's not as mature in the faith, pouring into them. We do this gently, but we do it faithfully. As our small groups are going to start growing, we're going to start identifying people inside of our small groups and in the church as well. And uh, we got this model of, of being a Paul and a Timothy and a Barnabas. So a Paul is somebody more mature than you in the faith. A Barnabas is somebody who is kind of your peer, kind of at the same level. And then a Timothy, somebody that you can pour into as well. We're going to be moving towards that in the new year as well as our small groups start to develop. And so keep your eyes and ears open for that as it comes. So if somebody's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What's true is that we all need accountability for our sin. We really do. We need accountability for our fight for faith, for our growth in Christ, for our walking in Him. And we need to continue together 
welcoming somebody else's insight into our darkest corners. We need to be welcoming others to see the challenges that we face, to see our struggles, to see our sin battle. So when a brother or a sister is, is struggling in sin, and, and we all are, right? we're all struggling with something, God has designed that somebody more spiritual can come and help you in that. Somebody down the road in the faith can help you in that. So this is a vital tool of our sanctification. This gentle restoration over sin and biblical accountability. So let me ask us all here, who are you accountable to? Maybe it's something that hasn't really been in your life. But let's move towards this. Do you welcome the help of others? Do you open up your life to other people? Are you being transparent and accountable with your friends here at church? So small groups is, is ground zero for this to take place. It's the ground zero for accountability. As you get to know your church family, as you start to earn trust, you begin to trust them yourselves. I beg you to start opening your life to one another. And I get it. Accountability is, is scary, right? It's not exactly the most comfortable thing to be talking to somebody about the this, this sin that you're struggling with. I totally get it. But this is the Lord's design. And don't believe the lie of Satan. He wants us to believe that all of us are alone in our sin. He wants you to think that you're the only one struggling with that specific sin. But the truth is that we're all struggling. We're not alone. We need each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the clear. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought to light. So as we think about this accountability... I want to share with you a list from, uh, from Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free. It's a book on purity. The men and I went through this, some of the men, uh, over the summer. And he summarizes what effective accountability looks like. Because it can be kind of a fuzzy concept. And we've got to be careful how we do this. And so I want to give you six, six things to look at about what effective accountability is. The first is effective accountability does not, ex- does not rely exclusively on accountability. So we must remember that as, as, as vital as accountability with one another is, it's one weapon in our fight with sin. So we often focus on the putting off of sin, right? I want to stop doing this. But the other half of that is that we need to be putting on Christ. So, so accountability in and of itself is not enough. Uh, you have the accountability and the conviction of the Holy Spirit as well, Right? And so this is one tool in a toolbox of of many tools that God has given us. Number two, effective accountability is involved early rather than late. Early rather than late. Often in accountability over sin, we often share the sin that has already happened, right? Um, But true effective accountability is involved early. Effective accountability believes 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Right? In the sin, in the moment of temptation, God has given you an avenue out and He's given you each other. So it's not always we're just going to confess sin after it happens. When we're tempted, we go to our brothers and sisters and ask for help. Number three, effective accountability involves someone with maturity. We already kind of talked about this. So although accountability with a peer is, is helpful, and, and I would suggest that you do that if you don't have somebody like a Paul um, that you can go to yet. We've got to be careful because often peers are accountable and it's basically just a rub on the back. Like, okay, we'll just keep going. It's okay. Let's just keep doing this. But if you're accountable to somebody more mature than you in the faith, you will be more um, accountable to them as well. Effective accountability should avoid explicit details. We go to Ephesians 5, 11 to 12 for this. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's what we're doing in accountability. We're exposing our sin so that the Lord can change us. And it says in verse 12, it says, For it is, it, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So we need to be careful with our accountability, especially in sensitive uh, topics. We can cause a brother or a sister to stumble in what we're confessing. So we need to have enough information to hold each other accountable, but let's avoid something that can cause somebody to stumble. Explicit details. We can talk more about that in our small groups as we move on as well. Number, number five, effective accountability places the responsibility for confession on the person with the problem. All right, like, I don't know if you've been in an accountability relationship, but sometimes it feels like you have a policeman, right? And he's driving the force. Uh, what have you looked at this week? Or what have you done this week? Whatever it is. And, and there's going to be an aspect of that. But true, effective transformation and change is going to be by, driven by the person who wants to change. And we have to put that responsibility on them to be coming and asking for accountability. Number six, effective accountability must actually hold people accountable. You must, we must actually do it. What I've seen in accountability relationships, and I'm even guilty of this, is, is you start that relationship and then it slowly peters out, right? And so we have to actually uh, go into this knowing that this is a commitment. We need to stick to this and we need to actually hold each other accountable. And know this, we need to have a lot of grace with one another. We have a gracious and forgiving God. And so in that accountability, you're not a policeman. You're a policeman that's full of grace, helping your brother and sister. And we find that this takes place best in small groups. Uh, in our small groups, we have a break-off time at the end, and it's where the men would gather with the men, the women with the women, and we'll talk about things in our life. And even inside that, you can have your smaller group as well with one or two friends from that group that you can be even more open with as well. So small groups is ground zero for all of this to take place. And it's absolutely vital for our spiritual health. And finally, one last thing that is absolutely vital is that we need focused prayer. James 5.16 speaks much of the power and the necessity of prayer. It gives us an outline of praying at all times for everything. So when we suffer, we, we pray if we're cheerful, we, we praise. If someone's sick, prayer is the proper response, and we pray for healing. If someone is found in sin, we pray. And then he says in 5, verse 16, Let's 
stuck together. All right. 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. We're just talking about that in accountability. Confessing our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed is the context. We can also apply that to all of our life. We pray for one another. And so in small groups, we make sure we don't just spend our whole time discussing and applying the sermon. We make sure that we have sufficient time to be praying, to breaking off and praying together as men and women, to hold each other accountable, to confess sin to one another, to put our faith into practice ultimately in seeking the Lord and the power of prayer. The Lord is the one who holds the universe in his hands. And and he uses us, like we just talked recently about the power of prayer to do his will. And prayer is, is commanded. Prayer is essential for one another. And we do this together in a small group of people. Paul knew how important this is. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, and Ephesians 6.19, Paul asks other people to be praying for him. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's saying that he needs others to pray for him. And he was also someone who fervently prayed for others. In his letter to the Ephesians and and in Colossians, he tells the hearers of these letters that he's praying for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, he says, remembering you always in my prayers. We need each other to be praying for one another. But more shocking than that, Jesus himself desired prayer. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he he asked the disciples to stay up with him and watch and pray. And so if the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus needs others to be praying for them, how much more do we need each other to be praying for one another? And that's one of the glorious things about small group. We get to pray. We get to intercede on behalf of our brothers and sisters. One of the most beautiful parts of the Christian life, when you really think about it, is somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, praying specifically a focused prayer for your life to the Lord, focusing on a a certain struggle, a certain hurt, anything you need prayer for. It's encouraging to have them do that for you. But it's also revealing that we understand the power of God, and that He is the one who answers prayers. You ever get a text out of the blue of just a friend praying for you? And it seems to come at just the right time sometimes. My brother has a friend named Art. He lives in Three Hills. My brother went to Prairie Bible Institute about 10 years ago. And he was walking down the road one day, and he met this older gentleman. He was probably in his 80s then. His name was Art. And and this guy came up to him and said, Hey, can I pray for you? Just out of the blue, some stranger coming to pray for him. And obviously this, this older gentleman knew that he was a, a new student at the school. But what began there was an awesome relationship of prayer. They would meet many times a week to pray and gather together. And to this day, Art is in his 90s. And he's constantly praying for my brother and his family. It's a beautiful thing. Praying together. You get to witness the most powerful, intimate reality that exists, that, that your brother and sister are going to their Lord and Savior and interceding for you. You're getting uh, insight into their relationship as they talk to God for you. Praying together acknowledges that all of our answers and all of our hope is found in the Lord. 
who has the power, who is the power to answer. And we're called, we're called to be a praying church. And, and we often fail at this. And we're going to move towards much more devotion to praying. And so together, let's devote each other and devote ourselves all the more to be praying together. So when we're in our small groups, make sure that there is a, a good chunk of time for the small group leaders out there. Um, just remember that we, we've divided the night up. Let's make sure that that time is, is devoted to prayer. I know in our own small group, we, we need to hit that better as well. What's true is that the same Holy Spirit who empowers and unites us is the same Holy Spirit that empowers us to pray. And He wants us. He's longing, groaning for us to be together, praying together. So you and I need much focused, dialed-in prayer on our life. Something that can only happen, you know, we can pray for each other here, but more intimately together in our group time. So I know we're only a couple months into to small groups, but I pray that uh, it's been a blessing to you. Uh, as you as you can tell, we're we're pretty fired up about small groups here at Harvest. We're kind of marked by our small groups. It's one of those things we we hold dear. So if you want to be in one, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Small groups is ground zero for sanctification here at the church, and we're 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 predestined. We're called. We're elected to grow in holiness for the Lord, and it's a joy. It's an absolute joy to be gathering together in our group time. So let's keep on persevering in that. Let's embrace that. Let's be transparent with one another. Let's open our homes and our lives to each other for the glory of the Lord. Let's deeply be praying together, being accountable, and soaking it all in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So true Christ followers, commit themselves to be consistently growing. Commit themselves to consistent growth and accountability within a community of believers. And so outside of Sunday mornings, as much as that is primary and important, and we need to throw ourselves at that with everything that we have, especially with our launch coming in and this new year, we need to pour each other into each other and with small groups as well. So I want to end this in prayer, and then we're going to have just a, a bit of a family chat after. I invite everybody to stay for that. It's just a short uh, conversation about some changes that we're going to be making here. And uh, so let me pray, and then we'll jump into that. Lord, we thank you that your word guides us, that it convicts us, that it reveals your truth to us, that your grace is poured out in, in it, that we get to learn about who Jesus is. We get to learn about the gospel. We get to learn that Jesus is the way. He is the only way, the life and the truth, that, that all of us are sinners. We are born sinners and we continued in sin. And that sin is worthy of eternal wrath. But by your grace, you sent your Son to live in our place, to live the perfect sinless life for us. And that he went to a cross a bloody cross on our behalf, knowing that we should have been on that cross, that we should have been destroyed, that we should have received all of your wrath. But he did it willingly. You sent yourself. And we praise you for that, that you took the nails for us and you died for us. 
And then you rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And in your rising from the grave, we rise in you and we have new life, life eternal, life in the Spirit, life in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are also adopted into the family of God. And this church is a small picture of the family, the larger family of Jesus Christ. And we long for his return. And we pray that he would come quickly. But in the time that we have left, would we be urgently at the task that you have called us to be, to be your church, to be growing in holiness, to be joining in the Great Commission together, to be sharing the good news with the lost, to be loving the world enough to be bold and to share the good news. So thank you for working on our hearts this morning, for compelling us even more so to be joining together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ and for your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.